good morning. It's great to be back with you again. As a, what's that? It sure does. <laughs> As a teacher of world religions, I'm always encouraged and yet discouraged at times with hearing people's stories. But I'm also interested in hearing what some of the obstacles are in people from other religions in why they are not accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and converting fully to Jesus Christ in Christianity. And one story in particular hit, hit me kind of hard because I teach world religions at the high school and we were studying a man that I'm sure you all have heard of named Gandhi, the Hindu. And he really investigated Jesus Christ, from my understanding. And he was interested in Christianity. And there may be a lot of reasons that I'm unaware of as to why he didn't fully accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, at least to what I've found in my studies. But one story in particular, when Gandhi was searching for Christ and he entered into a church, and from his experience in that church on that one Sunday morning, his experience with the body of Christ there was so negative with the way that he observed Christians treating him as he entered because he was different than they are. Led him to say that I would have become a Christian if it weren't for observing other Christians. Personally, that's troubling to me because Christians can be the biggest obstacles to non-believers coming to Christ. And I tell you what, I would much rather be a bridge to Christ than a wall in the way of somebody coming to Christ. And sadly, Christians are the biggest obstacles for many people to coming to Christ. And I would pray that I would not be an obstacle, but that I would be a bridge. I would pray for the community here at Joy Christian Center, that, that you would not be an obstacle or a wall, but that you would be a bridge. And I really sense that in our community here from the very first day that I came to observe and the, the prayers that you had for, for one another. And even today, the prayers that we've been having for one another, gathering together, I see the application of this message already occurring in the body here at Joy Christian Center. And I want to encourage you with that. But still, sadly, while temptation destroys people by the thousands, disunity can destroy groups by the hundreds of thousands. And today what I wanted to bring is a message called Keeping the Unity in Community. Because I know from my own personal experiences that change freaks people out. And change itself can lead to grumbling and grumbling to arguing and arguing to fighting and fighting to walking away and walking away to dissolving a corporation or a community or a church. And I would pray that that would not be the case, but that we would in every effort keep the unity in the community here at Joy Christian Center amidst all the changes that you've already been through. I realize that my first time coming here and experiencing Joy Christian Center was back in February. It's now October. 
This is my eighth message, I believe. And it's been an encouragement to come quite regularly now and, and to fill in in those places that you've needed to fill in and to experience the, the family here at Joy Christian Center because you truly are a family and encouraging one another. And, and I think that really God's desire for this church is to be unified, not disunified. To be of one accord, not discord. As you guys are up playing the worship music, you're all strumming the same chords. And your music sounds beautiful. But what would happen if all of a sudden one guy is in the key of G and the other guy switches to the key of D without letting the guy know that we're switching keys? It can be a disaster, can't it? In fact, for me as a worship leader, one of the things that I'm always concerned about and scared of is that key change. Because all it takes is for one guy in the band to not do the key change and it throws the whole thing off. Much like with community. As long as we're singing the same song and we're in the same key, it's all good. But if one guy changes and it throws the whole thing off, we've got discord rather quickly. I think it's interesting, though, the illustration. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but blue whales communicate through song. They sing. And they all sing the same tune. And when one changes, they all change. And the, and the song can be so loud that what happens in the Pacific Ocean can change among the community in the Atlantic Ocean because they're all unified with one song, with one sound. And when one changes pitch, they all change pitch in unison. It's a beautiful thing, but what it shows me is that there's a common denominator in the creator of those blue whales to lead them. It's almost as if there's a conductor leading their communication and their song. And I think what a beautiful thing, but also what a beautiful thought as we think about the unity in the church. Because there really is something special of hearing the one voice of the many. And you say, what does that mean? I don't mean hearing the loudest person. What I mean is that if you've ever been to a place where there are 10,000 people singing the same song, I think of it like a Garth Brooks concert. When he stops singing and he's playing and the audience is singing that song back to him, there's an interesting sound that comes out of an audience of 10,000 people singing the same song in the same key, same pitch, same words. It's as if it's one song and one sound and one voice and I think that's what God hears, honestly, when a church is in unity. He hears the song, and it's all as one voice, one body, one voice, singing praise to Him. And that's what I want to bring to you today is that encouragement. I think of the Tower of Babel as one example of unison and unity. But it didn't go so well for them, did it? We know the story. They gathered together to build this tower and, and, and build it up to, to, to heaven and beyond because they thought they were so powerful on their own. And in Genesis eleven six, the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. And so what does God have to do? He has to divide them. And how does he divide them up? By confusing their language. And then they have to go separate themselves into small groups 
as to places where they can understand each other. But I think that if God was concerned about a group of people who were so unified apart from him, how much greater is it in a church today when a community is gathered together and unified for the purpose of glorifying God? I would think then we could also say nothing would be impossible for them. Because unlike the Tower of Babel, the Christian church is about coming together and unify and unity and glorify Christ. And if that's our one purpose, will God not honor that? Of course he will. Of course he will. And it's a wonderful picture. I also think that as we gather together and, and we, we form this community, and we're going to look today at, at, at three various examples of, of the community that the church gives and that the Bible gives of, of what the church looks like. I want to begin just by saying that unity among a body of Christ is not uniformity. There's a difference. You see, the Dodgers are in the playoffs now, aren't they? You go to the Dodger game and, and you watch the players on the field, you can tell the players because they're all in uniform. They're all wearing the same thing. I'll never forget the time that I went to San Francisco to check out a Giants game. and I got there really early just because I wanted to check out the stadium. I'd, I'd never been to that stadium before and it was brand new and I'm really a big baseball guy so I thought this is going to be fun. So I'm walking around checking it out and I think I'm going to go get a hot dog. And a player walks right past me. One of the Giants pitchers walks right past me. He said, well, how do you know it was a Giants pitcher? He was in full uniform, walking around in the stands. I thought, that's kind of odd. And he actually really was. And I identified him how? By his uniform. But you can identify the players because their uniforms are all the same. They, they look identical to one another. Uh, let me tell you that the church, although it is unified, is not uniform because we're all different. I look around the room, every one of us looks different, and yet we're all together on the same team. There's no doubt. We're here to serve and worship Christ. I, I think about how bricks are uniform. Uh, just this last month, my neighbor came to me and said, uh, you know, we need to get rid of that dirty old wood fence. Do you want to build a wall? And I said, I'm interested in that. Well, what's the cost and, and how is this going to work? And, and he presented that we'd be 50-50 and that we'd build a brick wall across and, and they since built the brick wall and it looks beautiful. But let me tell you that every one of those bricks looks identical. They look the same. And, and that's not the picture of the church. In fact, the church is more like a stone wall where every stone is unique and different. Not bricks, but stones. Stones are unique. Stones are special. Stones, each individual one has its own unique ability and its own unique beauty. And like the stones, every one of us has our own unique abilities and unique beauties that we bring to construct this beautiful picture of the church. What are your unique aspects? This imagery of the stone, though, is presented in Scripture. In 1 Peter 2.5, Peter writes, it says, As you come to him, the living stone. Now, who is the living stone? Jesus. Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like what? Living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. 
offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, we might be a building, but we're not a brick building. We're not uniform, all looking the same. We're this precious building of stones, unique and special and different, but we all come together to create this beautiful image, this beautiful temple of God used to to gather together to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone of our faith. In fact, that phrase cornerstone is used in several places in Scripture of Jesus Christ. It's part of prophecy in Isaiah 28.16, where Isaiah writes, Behold, I am the one who is laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Now that's what Isaiah writes. And in the Psalms, Psalm 118.22, speaking of the Messiah, a prophecy, says the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And Jesus says this, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record Jesus using these very words from the Psalms as a testimony about himself. But personally, I had the opportunity to visit Israel and Turkey and Greece and Rome when when I was in college, and I found something really interesting about the cornerstone. The cornerstone is not some stone just placed in the corner and insignificant. The cornerstone, although it's called a cornerstone, is the very central aspect of a foundation. In fact, the cornerstone in a bridge, and there were many of these bridges built with stones, the cornerstone is the one stone where all of the pressure from all of the other stones are placed upon in order for that bridge to stand. Now, you remove that cornerstone, what happens to the bridge? It collapses. Because all of those other stones that are part of the bridge are leaning up against that cornerstone. Now, they may have to lean against one another, but the pressure of that bridge, the pressure of that foundation is all upon the cornerstone. You remove the cornerstone, the whole thing crumbles. Let me tell you this. If we removed Christ, the whole thing would crumble. (laughs) And every one of us, no matter where we are, there's the imagery of the living stones, no matter where we are in the church, no matter how significant we think we are or how minimal we think we are, we are all pieced together, leaning on one another, leaning on the cornerstone. And that cornerstone has to be there to keep us all together. Because you remove the cornerstone and we all crumble. We all fall apart. But yet that cornerstone stands as the great foundation. And Jesus reminds us that he is the cornerstone of our foundation. Today I want to present three biblical illustrations that I believe help us to focus a little bit more on the unity and keeping the unity in the community at Joy Christian Center. Because as I said before, change can freak people out. Change can cause anxiety, which changes, leads to bickering, which leads to fighting, and could lead to disunity, and then walking away from each other and not even knowing each other. And there have been changes from the past. There are changes happening even now. And there will be changes in the future. Change is inevitable. And yet when we encounter change, we want to remember that Christ is still the cornerstone upon which we're all leaning. 
But these three biblical illustrations, the first one is the Trinity. Because as Christians, we worship a triune God. It was even mentioned in the songs today that we were worshiping a triune God, and I fully, 100% affirm the Trinity. In fact, I believe that it is an essential Christian doctrine that you cannot deny the Trinity and, and still claim to be a Christian. Because the Bible teaches that the Father is God and that Christ is God and it is His Son and that you've got the Holy Spirit who is also God. And I realize that the Trinity is a great mystery. It's very complex. I think it's supra-logical. I don't think it's illogical to believe in the Trinity. Uh, as one theologian put it, it's like looking at one what and three who's. And in some way, that might very well be the case. That God is one in one way and three in another way. And I'm not here today to fully exhaust the, the teaching of the Trinity. That might be for another day, another time. Uh, but I am going to say that the Trinity provides an excellent illustration of unity within the Godhead to be reflected in the unity of the community of Christ. Now, there have been some who have said that how can God have the attribute of love without anything to love? Some critics of Christianity have argued that before God creates an object to love, he can't really be loving. But the response to that is to recognize that for all eternity, God is triune. And in the three aspects of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Love is directed eternally within the triune Godhead. As the Father is loving the Son, and the Son is loving the Spirit, and the Spirit's loving the Son, and the Spirit's loving the Father, and so on, God doesn't have to create something in order to be love or to be loving because He's already for all eternity demonstrating love within His own Godhead. Now, this becomes rather complicated if you're a monotheistic monist where you believe that God is one God and one person. But if you're a Trinitarian, it's not a problem. God is one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and love is being reflected within the triune Godhead. And I think that this lesson is definitely something that Jesus is thinking about in John 17, 20 through 21, when he prays for the church. Listen to the prayer of Jesus for his church. When Jesus says, I pray for those who will believe in me through the message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. See, as the Son is in the Father and the Father is in the Son, that's the Trinity connection there. So we are to be united and connected to God as well and also one together with one another. And I think that this picture illustrates in some ways this connection of the way that we as individuals are supposed to come together and, 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 and support and, and love one another in a common union. In Philippians 2, 1 through 11, this illustration continues. It says, Therefore, if you have an, any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, 
Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So this first part, it's talking really about how we relate to one another, isn't it? I'm not going to consider my interest as better than your own. I'm going to come alongside and serve you in your interests. I'm not going to lord my power or leadership over you, but I'm going to use leadership as a way to come underneath you and serve you and support you. But it continues because it connects this concept of unity within the church to Christ in his unity with the Father in the triune Godhead. Picking up at verse 6, talking about Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And what is the one thing that unifies us as a body of Christ? Christ. We come and we serve him. We gather together on Sundays to serve Jesus Christ. And I think that this is something you could focus on within the community here at Joy Christian Center, but this is something even much more far-reaching than that. Because no matter what church you attend or group you come to worship with on Sundays or spend together on Wednesday nights, the body of Christ extends to every Christian community. We are one under Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so the reason I think the Trinity is an illustration for the unity within the body of Christ is because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all unified together as persons. And they are yet still one God. We are all individual people, but yet together we come together to worship one Christ. And together we are worshiping one God. We are one church. And that one church extends no matter what building you go to. One of the most difficult things for me to do as a pastor is convince people that people are the church, not the building. And yet there's so many people who are concerned about the building and the location, and they think that we're going to come to church. No, you're not going to come to church. You are the church. You might come into a building to worship, but you are the church. And you're not just the church on Sunday morning when you have a place to come and worship. You are the church every day of the week because we are worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as one. And this helps me transition to my second illustration, which is that of a body. In Romans 12, 5, Paul writes and says, So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. That's something to consider if you want to illustrate unity, that we're not just one body, but we belong to each other. That's a powerful thing to consider. Now, we illustrate this even more in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27, where Paul writes, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. 
For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we are all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Let me tell you that I believe that I saw already this morning before this sermon even began, I already saw the application of this message taking place in the body here at Joy Christian Center. Because as I was standing up here, before I even started preaching, what were you doing? You were praying for each other. You were hurting with those who were hurting. And I, I can only imagine what it would be like to be in Rick's situation right now, having been up all night and worried about his wife and, and his daughter, who said 10 years old, is bearing the brunt of what's going on with her mother and being concerned and not knowing and not necessarily having all the answers so quickly. I can only imagine what that would be like, but guess what we are doing? We are coming together in prayer, and as one body, we are experiencing the pain and the frustration and the anxiety that Rick is going through right now and his wife and daughter. Because that's what a body does. When one piece hurts, we all feel it. And, and we've been through this together already in, in over the, since February. We've been through things that, that when you hurt, I'm bringing it to prayer and, and I'm going through it. And when my wife had surgery with her hips, what were you guys doing? You were praying for her. And that was a great encouragement to me because that's what a body does. She's doing all right. Yeah, she's still in recovery mode, but she's doing right, all right. She's looking for the, the next hip to, uh, to, to have surgery on, and we're moving forward and, and progressing there. But, but I, I see this illustration of a body. It's also fun for me sometimes to ask somebody when I give a message like this, and maybe out in the hall I might have a conversation with one of you and say, if you, if you see yourself as a body here at Joy Christian Center, what piece do you see yourself as? That's always an interesting you get interesting responses from that. Some people say, well, I'm the eye. 
I see a bunch of stuff going on in here. Other people say, I'm the ear. I hear stuff going on in here. I heard one person say, I'm the toenail. The toenail? Of all the parts of the body that you could be, why would you think you're the toenail? And he said, because you know what? Nobody ever notices me on a regular basis. But I tell you what, you rip me off, you're going to feel the pain. <laughs> you think about that. The little toenail, is, as much as it is unnoticed, we're not necessarily thinking about our toenails today, but it's that one piece that could affect the pain of the whole body if it gets ingrown. Or if you're trimming your toenails and you cut a little bit too close, that toenail is going to cause a lot of pain. And I think the illustration of the body, although it doesn't mention toenails in Scripture, every aspect of the body is important. Have you ever gotten an eyelash in your eye? Oh, extremely painful. Have you ever had an ingrown hair? Ouch! Those things hurt, and yet they're so small and minute, and yet can cause so much pain. And let me use this as an illustration to not overlook anybody's pain or sorrow in your church. Everybody's pain and sorrow affects the body in some way. And we need to come together and encourage one another and build each other up. In Colossians 1.18, it makes the case that while the church is the body, Jesus Christ is the head. It says, and he is the head of the body the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Jesus is the head. That's good news. Jesus is the head. And he's going to be the one that gives everything that the body needs. Without Jesus Christ, this group is decapitated, as every church would be decapitated. But notice the role that Jesus is playing in these illustrations, in the stone wall or the stone foundation, Jesus is the cornerstone that you remove Jesus and the whole thing falls apart. If Jesus is the head of the body and you have decapitation, what happens to the body? The body dies. In both of these illustrations, Jesus is central. The very aspect of keeping that community together. So in order to have unity in the community, what do we need? Jesus Christ as the head of the body. Jesus Christ as the cornerstone of the stone foundation. Jesus Christ as the son in our illustration of the, of, of the, of the Trinity makes it very clear that Jesus is foundational. When I think of the body, though, I, I can't help but think of one of my friends. His name is Jim. And two years ago, Jim had an uh, infection in one of his legs. Now, now Jim, for a living, he, he works, he uses his body for work. He, he's a maintenance man at uh, Pomona College in, in that area with the Claremont Colleges. And, and so he, he takes great pride in lining the fields for their athletic games and doing certain things where his physical body is important to him. And yet he had an infection in his leg that required his leg to be amputated. And he just recently got back to work regularly and full-time. 
to where he could, he could function the machines and do the work with one leg. But sadly, my wife told me just two weeks ago that Jim was back in the hospital with infection in his other leg, and they had to remove his other leg. And I don't know what the process is going to be for him to recover from two leg amputations, if he's ever going to be able to work again with the job that he has. I do not know. I know that he has a wife and some young kids that, uh, well, they might not be as young anymore. They may be uh, approaching teen years now. Um, but I, I remember that uh, I, I first met him when my wife and I first met, and my wife worked at a little gym. So it was Jim from the little gym. And his kids were young. They, they were two, three years old, and they were in my wife's class. And that's where we first met Jim from the gym. But throughout, we've, we've kept in touch. We haven't been really close, but when something comes up like this, my wife will bring it to my attention and we'll take some time for prayer. And, and, uh, and, and Jim's wife will spend a lot of time posting things on, on Facebook and social media, and so we keep in touch that way. But I want to encourage you to, to pray for, for Jim. Jim Calderon uh, is his name. And he's going to be going through a situation. You talk about change and anxiety of what does the future have for, for the Calderon family. But when I think about Christ and the church as the body, sadly, sometimes it is true that there needs to be amputation. But amputation is the last resort. Even as, as sick as my father has been with cancer and some of the things that have happened in his body with cancer... Uh, he has neuropathy in both feet, my father does, and he's confined to a wheelchair where he can barely move. Some days he can't even get out of bed. And yet he's asked the doctor, would you just please amputate my feet because my feet are in such pain with the neuropathy and the doctors won't do it. They said there will be more complications with, with, with amputation than there would with trying to treat the neuropathy. So I, I know that the way that the medical community works, is that amputation is a last resort. And I think likewise that would be true in the church as well. There are some times where as a very last resort, parts need to be amputated because it's for the betterment of saving the community's life. But apart from that, there are going to be infections. There are going to be sicknesses. There are going to be pains. There are going to be hurts. And for the most part, we want to come together and try to nurture those within a healthy body. And in those parts that aren't healthy, we want to restore back to full health. Because when I injured my arm playing baseball, I didn't, I didn't amputate it, but I did rehabilitate it. I did have to go to therapy and have surgery and do those things. And, and sometimes with the parts of the body, infection does lead to amputation. I understand that. But make that be a rare case. Try to do the best you can, keeping the body whole, encouraging one another, and getting the body healthy again in those times along your journey where you feel that it's unhealthy. And I'm not saying that Joy Christian Center is unhealthy in any way right now. Don't read me that way. But I do know that in the life of a body and in the life of a church, there are healthy times and there are unhealthy times. And when those unhealthy times come, Remember this message. Go back to the, to the website and play it again. And be encouraged to do your best to keep that body whole. Keep it together. Keep it structured. And focus on looking forward to those times when if it gets to the point where it's unhealthy, that it will be healthy again.
The last illustration that I want to focus on, though, for unity is the illustration of marriage. In Genesis 2, 22 through 24, when God institutes marriage, says, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become what? One flesh. And that's a picture of unity. Marriage, two becoming one, is a picture of unity. Matthew 19, 4 through 6, Jesus is teaching about marriage, and he says, haven't you read? He replied, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Sounds like he's reading right out of Genesis 2. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, I, I know for me, being a pastor for as long as I've been a pastor for, that it, it was a struggle for me to, to just think about when I get married, who's going to do the service for me? Now, when I got married and I married my wife, I didn't know that her father was going to be a pastor and that he was fully qualified to do the, the wedding ceremony for us, but that was God's way of answering my question because I was very concerned. I used to joke with people. I said, I'm going to meet a woman and I'm going to perform my own wedding because I'm thinking to myself, who's going who's to perform the wedding for me? I don't, I'm the pastor. I'm the one who does the services for people. Who, who, who is going to do my service? But it worked out perfect. And, and I'll never forget that day when uh, my father-in-law walked my wife down the aisle and turned around up here and, and, and performed the, the service. But then he looked at me with these eyes that directed right into my eyes. And he said this, what God has joined together, and he looked at me and pointed right in my face, let no one, let no one, let no one separate. That was like the Spirit of God just piercing my soul right there. I'll never forget that. I'm not going to let anyone separate my marriage. The two have become one. That is union. And I think that that's also a reflection of Jesus Christ and the church. You say, well, how is that a reflection of Jesus Christ and the church? Well, we have to turn to Ephesians 5 to see this connection. In Ephesians 5, starting with verse 22, it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That sounds familiar. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about what? Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife, and he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, we know that this teaching is really talking about two things. On the one hand, it is talking about a marriage relationship, but it's also using the marriage relationship as a metaphor for this beautiful picture of unity within the body of Christ. And as these two individuals, a husband and a wife, are brought together in holy matrimony to create this imagery of one flesh that no one can separate, no one should separate, So it is with the body of Christ. We're all together different individuals, and yet we come together to create one church, one living body. And I think that's a good illustration. I'm not prepared today to go into this passage in great detail and, and, and administrate it as far as how it applies to marriage. That wasn't the point of my message today. Although I will say that it is interesting that This whole aspect of wives submitting to their husbands, the foundation of that is also husbands submitting to who? Christ. And I don't think that it's as big of a controversy as some people try to make it out to be, to be honest with you. Some people say, oh, I don't like this part. Wives submit to your husbands. But I I haven't met a woman yet who would have a problem submitting to her husband when her husband is fully submitting to Christ and loving her as Christ has loved the church. Because when I love my wife as Christ has loved me, that's loving her sacrificially. That's putting her needs before my own. That's being willing to die for her. And what woman wouldn't want to submit to a husband who loves her like that? But even more so, the purpose of this message was to illustrate this profound mystery He says, I am talking about Christ and the church. And that's the key. Are we as a body of Christ at Joy Christian Center, each one of us individually submitting to the authority of the head of Christ? Because the imagery throughout Scripture is amazing. I mean, it it pictures this imagery of marriage as Jesus Christ being the bridegroom and the church being his bride. That imagery is throughout Scripture. In fact, I tell students who are scared of the second coming of Christ, I said, there's nothing to be scared of unless you either don't know the groom or you're not ready for your wedding day. I could see that those would be two scary things. But the Bible presents in the book of Revelation as the second coming of Christ being a day of almost a wedding day where, where the, the bridegroom is riding a white horse to come to rescue the bride. And the only way you would be scared is if you didn't know him or you weren't ready. But if you're ready for your wedding day, you should be ready for that second coming. And if you're a Christian, you already know the groom. But I find first century weddings to be an interesting reflection of this thought because weddings would last a long time. These were days that, that, that could, it could go a week or so, which is why I think when Jesus comes to the wedding of Cana, he, he comes a little bit late and they're running out of wine and, 
and he has to turn the water into wine. We understand. It's not just a Saturday event in the first century. Uh, These things were big deals and they would last a long time, several days. And my understanding of a first century wedding is that it was the bridegroom's responsibility to determine the time, the day and the hour of when this was going to happen. And it was up to the woman to kind of be ready at any time. Because she knew she was engaged, but it's not like it is today where we plan a year ahead of time or two years ahead of time. Well, we know it's on this day at this time. Everybody be there. We've got to save the date, posters that are going out and all these things happening, and we know two years ahead of time when someone's getting married. That's not the imagery of the first century. My understanding is that the bride had to be ready at any time because she didn't know when that groom was going to come and say, today's the day. Likewise, we all need to be ready, always, for Jesus' return. Because we don't know when it's going to happen, but when it does happen, it's like a beautiful wedding day. Something that we should be excited for, not something to be scared of. And I don't know, but if you are really excited about getting married, that could happen any time. Wouldn't you be waiting and waiting and waiting, and then now's the day and you're super excited? Likewise, don't be terrified of the second coming of Christ, but be ready and excited because when that happens, it's an exciting time. It's going to be a wonderful time. And there are exciting times ahead for Joy Christian Center. And this is why I brought this message because in my time of prayer, thinking what topic or or what passage or or what could I bring to you, and it just kept on coming to me, bring unity. Speak about community because with change comes anxiety. And with anxiety can come frustration and bickering and arguing and arguing fights and fights, people walking away from each other and dissolving a corporation. That's not what I want to see at Joy Christian Center. Although you've been through a lot of changes and I've been blessed to be a part of those changes as I've been coming in and filling in for you and I look forward to even more opportunities to come and and fill in. My prayer for you is that you're unified in ways that we've seen illustrated in Scripture. That you see Joy Christian Center as a, a diverse wall of stones or a bridge of stones, if you will, uniting people who are not saved with Jesus Christ, who is the only way to salvation. But among this wall is a bunch of individual pieces that are all different and they all look different as you look at them. But they're all leaning up against Christ, the cornerstone. You've got to keep that cornerstone in the wall. We also recognize that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, and as the triune Godhead is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus' prayer, if you remember, was that the body of Christ be unified as he and his Father are one. And so the Trinity is a great reflection. As Christians, we, we serve a triune God. We worship a triune God. And that imagery of the Father and the Son being united ought to be the imagery that we see as we unite together to serve Jesus Christ. But we also see that our our unity is, is like a body, isn't it? And we see that we're all different parts, and some of you might say, you know, I like being the fingernail. I think I'm going to borrow that one. Others of you are saying, no, you know what, I think I'm more like a right-hand man. I think I'm the right arm of this place. 
Others are saying, no, I'm more like the foot. I'm going to step out of the building and, and go out in the community and preach the word. And, and you're all different. You have different strengths and, and, and weaknesses. I get that. I know that I appreciated whoever was the hands of, of the church that I worked for because anytime we needed something fixed, something was broken, or we needed something built, it was those hands that got in there and, and did the dirty work, work that I can't do. You ask me to build a building, and it's not going to be a building. Or it's going to take a long time. I can't even put Legos together. <laughs> you ask me to preach a sermon, I feel like that's my calling. But you ask somebody else to preach a sermon, they'll be like, I can't talk in front of people. There's no way I'm going to do that. But I'll be your hands and I'll be your feet. And I'll go out there in the community and do something. Or I'll do anything that you need if you need it built with two hands. And you see how we need each other like a body needs its many parts. And lastly, look at your body of Christ here at Joy Christian Center as a marriage. You have two individual people, a husband and a wife, coming together to make one flesh. I look around and I see a bunch of people here, individuals with individual strengths and weaknesses, and yet you've come together to make one community, one church. And these are illustrations that I just want to close with a word of prayer and blessing on all of you. And I want to close with a great challenge for you. The challenge is, to obey the command that Christ gives in John 13, 34 through 35, when he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you what? Love one another. So as we go our separate ways this week, love one another. As you go to work on Monday, love one another. I want to challenge you to be the best at loving each other. Because I, I think that if, at least from my experience coming here, that if Gandhi had walked through the doors of Joy Christian Center, he may have walked out with a different understanding of the Christian faith. Not one of saying that I don't want anything to do with Christ because I don't like the way the Christians treated me. I think if he would have walked through here, he may have had a different understanding of the Christian faith. Be that church. Be the church that loves each other and loves other people. And if you're going to have a challenge at all and a little competition, why not win at being the best at loving? Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for the opportunities that I've had to bring the word here at Joy Christian Center. And it seems like at every opportunity that has come that there has been a situation to bring a word of encouragement. And Lord, I, I pray that we know that there is much change ahead. But Lord, we put our faith completely and fully in you, our head. Lord, when changes come, anxiety can build up in a lot of people, but I pray, Lord, that as change comes, as they're searching for a new pastor, that they would see that this opportunity ahead would be a double blessing. It'd be a, a blessing to the pastor who is looking for this opportunity, and it'll be a blessing to this community to receive what that pastor has to offer. So, Lord, I pray for both. The future pastor of Joy Christian Center, 
and also, Lord, the body here at Joy Christian Center, each individual person, that they would come and, and look for ways to be a blessing to that pastor because they know that as a community in doing so, that they're honoring their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the illustrations of your word that remind us to keep the unity in the community. In your name I pray, amen.